Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He was who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How is your hope in the midst of this global pandemic of Corona? Do you feel like you could be soaring over the peaks of Mount Everest like a balloon? Or do you feel like in the doldrums of despair? Or for you, does it just depend on what sort of mood you wake up in in the morning, whether like a sailing ship, you're cresting a wave or in a valley on the other side? How is your hope? And then you might be asking a deeper question of where does my hope even come from? And in fact, I think the nation's asking this question. I think that is the reason why we've become so fixated on Captain Tom who's obviously an absolute legend. He's a hero, that man. He's raised 32 million for the NHS, I believe. But we wouldn't have given him the news coverage that we've given him, the honours that he's been awarded, if we'd been living in normal times at the moment. We're in such need of hope of a good news story. Is our hope something that's just external? Depends on what other people do to us, what sort of news stories we find in the news or how um, people invade our two-metre bubble in Sainsbury's or how our children invade our, our Zoom meetings or recordings or videos. Is hope something that is just based on externalities? Or is our hope something that's just internal, depending on the mood that we wake up in? in the morning. Where does our hope come from? Now I'd like to suggest today that the Bible offers us a hope which is founded on something deeper than those externalities and internalities, on a God who is unchangeable and therefore able to give us hope no matter the circumstances, even in a global pandemic. And that I believe is why we have the saints of old worshipping God in their prison cells, even when they might have been killed the next day. But then you might say to me, Guy, look, that might work for you, but it doesn't work for me. I can't just obey a command to be hopeful. And I'd like to agree. So I'd like to present to you today 
um, a, a hope which is overarching and Bible spanning and is based on reason. That starts in Genesis chapter one and ends at the end of Revelation. And I'm going to bed everything that we talk about today in the incredibly uh, fruitful um, case study of this corona pandemic. Now, have you ever caught yourself thinking, will life be normal again? You know, will I ever be able to hug my friends again and stop wearing a mask on public transport? And, you know, will we get to a time when my colleagues at work won't be able to see my room through uh, my camera over Zoom? Will life ever be normal again? And during those times, I wonder if you ever think back to uh, a time before the virus in order to give you hope. The BBC News did a similar thing for us recently where they asked us to send in our last normal photo before the lockdown. Just looking at those photos gives us hope for a future without the virus. And in fact, I think that's exactly what this passage does in the first few verses. It reminds us of a world without the virus, of sin, of man turned in on himself, uh, before man overreached and tried to displace God and his rule, before everything was messed up. And then the following few verses gives us hope for a vaccine, um, a hope for the virus defeated. And if the virus has been defeated, then there has to be hope for a future as well, a world without the virus. And so that's what's, that is what we can look at in the final few verses. And this covers not just Corona, but the entire span of the history of God and his world. So we'll start off with how hope looks back to a world without the virus. And then our hope remembers how the virus has been defeated. And finally, how hope trusts that there'll be a new world without the virus. Let's get stuck in. So hope looks back to a world without the virus. Let's have a read of Revelation 21, 1 to 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So at this point we catch the Apostle John, the beloved disciple, on the island of Patmos, where he's sitting receiving these incredible revelations from God and frantically writing them down. And the first thing in this section that he sees is uh, the new heavens and the new earth. Now, this is meant to remind us of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, where we read, um, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's meant to take us straight back there. It's meant to remind us that the world that we're living in 
isn't the world that God initially created it to be or wanted us to live in. In fact, the world that we're living in, what we call our normal, our sort of pre-corona BV, in fact, for God is the new normal. Because the normal for him, how he wanted it to be, was Eden before the fall, before the virus of sin hit our world. I was thinking recently how when our little baby is born, my wife is due so soon, all she will know for the first days and and months of her life is going to be lockdown and this uh, corona pandemic where the people who want to hug her, uh, friends and family, won't be able to hug her. And she won't be able to see those close relationships as they're meant to be, as we want them to be. And for her, that will just be normal. And in a way, uh, she's like someone who's born during the wartime. But it reminds us, in fact, that we're all wartime babies. We're all corona-type babies because we're born into a world which is God's new normal not how God always wanted it to be. So he wants to take us back in time to Eden. He wants to take us back in time to how he created the world to be. And he says to us, look, I didn't create a world of suffering and pain and death and mourning and viruses. That's not how the world's meant to be. That's how it is in the wartime. But that's the new normal. That isn't how I wanted it to be from the beginning. And so we see this new heaven and the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And sea in this passage represents evil and turmoil. And so all of that is gone. It's wiped away. And then there's the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down from heaven. And what is the city? Is it a place or is it, in fact, a people? Because it's a it's a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, which is meant to remind us of the church. And we tell we told the significance of of everything that's happening in here in this passage that um, God's dwelling place is now going to be with the people. He will dwell with them. And so we've seen many times in the Bible how people try and work their way up to God. Uh, Remember the Tower of Babel? God says it doesn't work like like that. You can't work your way up to God. But rather, we see now God's unfolding plan where he comes down to earth to dwell with his people on earth. And we see what had been the waiting room of heaven, where people had been waiting for this new earth after they've died. Now they're coming down to earth. So God will dwell with his people on what is a a mixture of, of heaven and earth. It's God on earth in a state which is heavenly, where there's no more suffering and pain. No more death, no more mourning, no more of what we call normal, but for God is the new normal. So that's the first step where God takes us back 
reminding us that we live in a war and reminding us of how it was created to be from the beginning. Secondly, hope remembers how the virus has been defeated. Let's have a look at the next few verses in our text. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. Now, I love this section. I love thinking of a world where every tear is wiped away from every eye, where there's no more death. Therefore, there's no more mourning. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. It's all gone. It's incredible. Absolutely amazing. But at the same time, as we read it, we realise there's something wrong here. Because if God's going to remove those things from our world, how can we survive? Just think of pain. I've certainly caused a lot of pain to other people in my life. And I'm pretty sure that you have too. So how can I survive a world where pain has been removed? And therefore those who cause pain have been removed. As uh, the Russian philosopher Alexander Solzhenitsyn has written, uh, the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart. How can God remove evil without destroying us? Well, I think the answer to that question comes in right at the end of the section that I read in the words, it is done. And I'd like to take us back to two other it is done's in the Bible before we have a look at this one. And the first one comes in the Garden of Eden. It's Genesis 3 verse 13. And Adam and Eve are hiding from God um, after having eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God walks in the garden in the cool of the day and he finds Adam and Eve and he says to Eve, what have you done? What have you done, Eve? I created this world to be good and pure, and you've introduced a virus into my world. You've brought evil into this world. It's never going to be the same again. It all has to change from this point. The virus has been introduced, and it's an assault on God. They've usurped God's authority. Now, just imagine if you go out into the street and you assault someone. You would deserve to be punished, right? And that would be pretty bad. But just imagine rather you assault a policeman. Your punishment would be even worse. But it could go worse than that. Imagine if you assaulted the monarch, the queen. Certainly in the past, that would be a capital punishment and quite possibly seen as treasonous. But the assault that was done in the Garden of Eden, the assault that we commit day after day, is one against the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who is infinite and eternal. 
and therefore as finite creatures, our punishment should be infinite and eternal. And that is the problem that is set up right in the beginning with that first it is done. What have you done, Eve? And that leads us nicely to the second it is done, which is the answer to the question of how evil can be defeated, how this virus is defeated. And we see it on the cross. On the cross, we see someone dying who is a human being, a man, and therefore he is able to bear the sin of human beings. He is able to be a substitute for us. But if he was just a human being, then he wouldn't be able to take everyone's sin, and also he would have to bear the sins eternally. But rather, he was a human being, and he was God, fully human and fully God. And being God, being infinite, being eternal, he is able to bear the sins of all and say, it has been done once for all. It is finished. It is done. And that's what Jesus said on the cross. It is done. Sin has been defeated. It no longer needs to reign in this world. It no longer needs to have power over you. A virus was out there in the world and has wrecked our bodies and our humankind. But a vaccine has been created for it. That's what happens on the cross. And that vaccine is freely distributed to anyone who is willing to take it on humbly and say, Jesus died for my sins. And that takes us so nicely to the third it is done, which is the one that we see in the text where our infinite eternal God wraps up time and takes us into a new world with a it is done. So hope remembers how the virus was defeated with that second it is done on the cross. So finally, hope trusts that there'll be a new world without the virus. Let's have a look at our text again. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I'll be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral... Those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is the second death. So God says he is the Alpha and the Omega. I was reflecting recently that we're just about to have a little baby girl, which is so exciting, and she is going to be adored by her three brothers. But also she won't have access to the years that those brothers have spent together before she was born. Those times of walking in the hills and cricket in the garden and Bible stories and the bed in the morning that so often turn into wrestling matches. She just won't have access to them because all of those times happened before she was born. Now, the same is true for us and God. 
if time is a bit like this wooden spoon, uh, there was a stage before time, before creation, where all that existed was God. Even time didn't exist. Time is his creation. And so before creation is just the beginning, is God. And that's why God can be the Alpha, the beginning. And there'll be a stage where time is wrapped up. God says, it is done. It is finished. And then all that will remain afterwards will be God and whoever is found in God. And therefore, God can be the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so we might ask, if that's the case, how can I make sure that I am found in God in the end? Well, I think this passage answers that question, where God says, I will give water without cost from the spring of life. And the water is given, did you notice, to those who are thirsty. So the prerequisite for getting the water is just a thirst. And so we might ask, do you thirst for a life where sin and death and dying and all the pain that we have around us is removed? Do you thirst for that? Well, that's the prerequisite. And so how do we earn our way into it? Well, we are told um, that those who are victorious will inherit it. So it's not something that is bought or paid for. It's something that's inherited. Children receive an inheritance just because they are children of their parents. And that's how we receive life in Christ at the end as well. And we might ask, what is this life going to look like? Well, it's going to be a time where there are no more people who are cowardly and unbelieving and vile, no more murderers or sexually immoral, no more people who practice magic arts, no more idolaters, no more liars. There is going to be a new perfection. And so Jesus, as we've said, came into this world. He paid the, the price for sin and bore the punishment. He created that vaccine. And from then, up until when time ends, people will be freely receiving the vaccine that is on offer. But there'll be some who choose not to receive the vaccine, and therefore they will be paying that punishment for sin eternally. And therefore we have a space in eternity, a place which will be a new heaven and a new earth, where sin and suffering and dying will be removed. And this world will be a place again, as it was meant to be in the beginning, where the relationships are restored, both between uh, us and each other and us and God. And I think that is a place that we should really thirst for. And I think it's also that is something that gives us real hope in this coronavirus pandemic. We realise that this pandemic is just a little blip inside history. And in fact, the history that we live in of time is just a blip inside eternity. And what we're called to is this life which will be eternal and perfected 
where we are found in Christ. And that should give us hope as we look back to how life was created to be, how we look um, to how Jesus defeated the virus on our behalf and won that vaccine for us and how he calls us into the future, into this new creation, which is going to be perfected again. That should give us hope. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the hope that you give us. Thank you for the hope that you call us to. Lord, thank you that the world that we live in, both this uh, corona pandemic world and what we call normal before that, in fact is abnormal for you. Thank you, Lord, for how you call us into the future, into a world where everything that is evil and wrong is removed. Thank you for that perfection that we are going to live with you in, into eternity. Thank you for sending Christ. Thank you, Lord, for that punishment taken for us. Thank you, Lord, for giving eternal life freely to us. Thank you that we are your children and that you are our Father. You are God. And Lord, we take you at your word today. Well up eternal life in us and bring hope as a result. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So all this talk about this new creation takes us so well into a time of worship. Let's worship our Heavenly Father together.